You're listening to the Eat With Grace podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. Jackie Neinheis, registered dietitian and professor of culinary medicine. And I am your co-host, Brooke Fredrickson, registered dietitian and certified diabetes care and education specialist. And we are here to challenge a culture around food and nutrition from a biblical perspective. Today, we're going to talk about milk and milk substitutes. Now, we all know with the formula shortage that happens that uh, the best alternative when you can't get formula is breast milk. The best alternative even when formula is available is to try breast milk to see if you know that's a possibility. But we're going to talk a little bit about after um, that first year of life or after, you know, is milk still important for children? Is milk still important for teenagers, for adults in older age? And we have always followed the research that milk is an essential, has essential nutrients for us. But it seems like there's a lot of groups that are coming out saying different things. Brooke, introduce us to a couple of those groups and why do they say we don't need milk? I'm not sure if I have any names for the groups uh, per se, but I, I have encountered various individuals uh, who have kind of an anti-milk or an anti-dairy message. Um, I know Jackie and I visited briefly before recording today, you know, that we both worked with other healthcare providers who don't think that people should be drinking milk. And the reason that they give is because no other species drinks milk after infancy. Right. So when we look at um, other animals, they they don't drink milk after they're weaned from their mother because they can get their nutrients from the food afterwards. Um, I hear that as a very, very common reason. Now, I don't know if there's any justification nutritionally or health wise for that, uh, but that's that's a common one I hear. I know some other ones come from you know, environmental issues, or, you know, if it's an animal cruelty type thing, if they just choose not to consume, you know, dairy products at all, they might not give their children milk, allergies, taste, I think there's, there's a variety of reasons why people don't do it. But from, you know, from a nutrition perspective, we, we, like Jackie said, we know that it's, it's a really good source of uh, good quality protein and other vitamins and minerals. One other thing that will sometimes come out from people is the thought that the only reason dairy is important is because it was put into the food guide pyramid in the 80s to support the dairy industry and because of dairy lobbyists. So there are some people who think that there's a political aspect of it. Now, I'm not saying there isn't, there could be, um, but I think there's also a nutrition, there's nutrition information behind that to back it up. So. Uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're just going to talk about milk. Um, is it essential? Is it not? What is it good for? What is it not? I know a lot of people are moving to milk substitutes, um, which are non-equivalent to milk. And we can discuss the reasons why, but I think those are some of the holdups around dairy that I've noticed. How about you, Jackie? Anything else? Well, it's really interesting because we are in a world today that is so divisive. And um, we see all of those things you're talking about, but I actually am seeing another pushback where they encourage children to drink only water or milk. 
and nothing else. I think that actually is a really good pushback to all of these other uh, different kinds of milks. And I think we can talk about right now the nutritional value of milk alternatives and see, are there any that we would recommend that a young child should be drinking instead of milk, unless there is a very specific health reason for doing that. Right. And um, we could start with some of the really popular ones like, um, you know, coconut milk. That's high in saturated fat. In fact, it's higher in saturated fat than um, full fat dairy. Um, you can look at some of the other lower fat products. Those are higher in sugar than uh, regular dairy products. So we can look at individual nutrients across these different milk alternatives, or you can look at the product as a whole. And um, let's look at a few of those. Sure. Um, I think the one that's closest to dairy, uh, as far as a nutrient profile is gonna be soy milk. Um, that's going to be most consistent with um, like the, the carb fat protein ratio that, that milk provides. Now, we also know that soy is not as bioavailable. Uh, the protein in it isn't as the, the whey protein in the dairy. So even though it has similar amounts of protein, you are going to see better absorption in your body from the full uh, dairy product. Um, and one thing that concerns me about the soy is the soy is actually really hard on the digestive system in high amounts. Now, we're not talking about um, products like tofu or tempeh or other things that have been fermented because those are easier on the digestive system. But um, I actually make soy milk. I've made the with soybeans and used the whole process to make the soy milk. And you know, I know several people who cannot handle large amounts of soy milk as adults. And I would be concerned that a child also would not be able to handle large amounts of soy milk and that the side effects of large amounts of soy milk would be so hard to pin down as to exactly what it is that's bothering them. Because it's like for adults, it's some stomach distress, it's um, GI issues, it might, you know, come bleeding happens. But in a child, some of these things might be overlooked and, and you know, it could be really serious before you figured out exactly what it is. So I can't think of too many reasons to give a child, um, soy milk, even though that's the closest. So just because we're saying it's the closest nutritional yes. profile doesn't mean we're recommending it. No, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, honestly, I'm not recommending any of the alternatives. Um, I'm, I'm a big dairy fan for many reasons. Now, if you have a dairy allergy and you cannot have dairy, then yes, these are the, these are the other alternatives. Um, I think the most popular one right now is almond milk. Uh, I think most people use almond milk because again, they think because it has the word almond in it, that it's healthy. Um, it's also much lower in calories than dairy milk. Well, that's because it's, it really should just be called almond water. All they do is they soak the almonds in water and it becomes like an almond tea. So you get some of the nutrients from the almond. Um, there's a little bit of fat in it, almost no protein, almost no carbohydrate. So uh, unless it's sweetened. So the, the almond milk I think is very popular in diet circles because it's very low calorie. 
the other one I'm really familiar with is rice milk, just because I know someone personally who drinks that um, due to food allergies. Rice milk is very high in carbohydrate, very low in fat, very low in protein. So again, it's going to be more of a, um, you're drinking the starch from the rice. Um, and so it's going to be very high in carbohydrate and sugar, very low in those other nutrients. So again, not even close to equivalent. Now I know there's some other ones out there, like the pea proteins and the, the oat milks. I'm not as familiar with those. Uh, Jackie, do you have any information on those and what are your thoughts on them? You know, I think all of these different milks, it's really interesting. And, um, we have a family farm that, um, Oatly, who makes oat milk, asked us to grow oats for them. And so um, while I think it's really fun to be able to uh, have this increase our farm and be able to grow the oats and have this oat milk, I do not think this is a substitute for milk. Mm -hmm. um, if you want to drink oat milk, consider it as a substitute for juices and soft drinks and those kind of things in your life. But not for milk. So all these, even like almond milk, like people say that it's low calorie, but you know, a lot of people, they drink the sweetened kinds. Mm -hmm. So it's not necessarily a good kind of calories that are in it. Okay. Then you have to go back to allergies versus sensitivities. And it's like, uh, the thought now is that you introduce milk a little bit earlier to infants so that they don't come up with an allergy against it. Now, so many people are drinking almond milk, oat milk, um, soy milk, because they thought the baby was crying too much, mm. or they thought that the baby seemed like they were in distress or something, so they switched milks. And that's very, very common for people to do, but it may, or may not have a basis in fact that that's right. what the child needs. So I think we have to be very, very careful when we're talking about all these milk substitutes and talking about milk allergies, like how do we actually know that it is a milk allergy? I think we need to get down to that. Make sure that mm -hmm. your child actually has a milk allergy before you go that direction of eliminating dairy products. Yeah, I think 100%. You don't want to put any undue hardship or restriction on that child, right? Because I think there could be long-term ramifications from it. Um, you know, if, if there are people out there who are not giving their kids any dairy, um, you know, for whatever reason, I know Jackie and I were discussing this ahead of time, you know, what, what does their bone structure look like compared to someone who is drinking dairy as a child? I think it would be really interesting to see if they've done any research on that. Uh, because we know that, you know, dairy foods or milk, especially is going to be the primary source of calcium and vitamin D in a child's diet. Um, and if they're not getting that, where are they getting it from? Right. Cause a lot of these substitutes, they might be supplemented some, but we know again, um, our body absorbs things better from its natural source than from a supplemented source. Uh, and so it would just be really interesting to see how that affects their bone structure, because we know that like during these, these formative years, you know, the first 20 years of our life is when we're developing the frame of our body. 
And if we're putting that in compromise anyway, because of any, you know, lack of nutrition or lack of, you know, essential vitamins and minerals, that would be lifelong, right? We would, we would see lifelong issues with um, increased fractures or osteoporosis risk or other things like that. So I think it would be interesting to, to look at that. Maybe that's something we can look into. I should, I've never actually looked at the research to see if there's a difference, but there has to be a reason other than just political why why dairy is important right um we know we know that it's nutritious we know that god created um cows and that he created milk as a food and we know that people in the bible drink milk they talk about lands flowing with milk and honey i'm sure that milk was not just for animals um people have consumed milk it's been part of their diets for um as long as humans have been on this earth. And so I think it's important to think of it in that aspect, that aspect too, that it is something provided by God and, and it provides nutrients. So why wouldn't we drink it? You don't have to, but why wouldn't you knowing that it's, um, that it's good for your body? Yeah. So early childhood offers the chance to establish healthy habits and taste preferences. And so when I think of early childhood and and people say, well, if I want to get them to drink almond milk, you know, I just give them the sweetened kind. Well, mm -hmm. then you're developing a preference for sweetened products. And if you give them just the plain almond milk, or it's probably better to give them water and nutritious foods to go along with it than, than the almond milk. So I can't imagine reasons for introducing almond milk or oat milk or or soy milk to your average um, healthy child. I think that trying to develop good um, food preferences comes down to offering real food. And I am a big proponent of real food. All of these other milks are processed. And while they have some nutrients added, or they have some nutrients from whatever they're food stuff they're made from, they are still processed and it still leaves out uh, a whole gamut of different kinds of, um, whether it's some protein or carbohydrates or whatever. So milk is a whole food that if you drink it as a whole milk, that is very little processing going on. Even just being homogenized is, is uh, or pasteurized, homogenized, pasteurized. That's the only thing that's done to it. There's only one ingredient in that jug of milk and that is milk. Whereas you look at all, all the different substitutes and they have a lot of different ingredients, which um, I'm not against foods with lots of ingredients, but I do kind of like for my children to eat whole foods. Eat foods as naturally to the source as they can come. So dairy products fit that. And I consider yogurt in that category. When I make my own yogurt, all it is is milk. There's nothing else added to it except that there is the bacteria that ferments and has good probiotics in it. Um, I also make different cheeses. And those cheeses only have milk in it, maybe with a little bit of lemon juice and renin to create the curd. So these are very natural kinds of foods that I really like to see my kids and my grandkids and uh, children in the community eating. Okay. So tell me, how do you make cheese at home? Okay. So you uh, take a pot of milk, you heat it to a specific temperature. And if I just put 
three tablespoons of lemon juice in a gallon of milk, it will immediately, I'll be able to make like a, a soft cheese out of that. If I use Rinnen or um, some other kinds of like uh, ascorbic acid, some other kinds of uh, things to cause a curd, I can make mozzarella cheese. In fact, mozzarella cheese is, is very, very simple to make the fresh mozzarella. And it's just a fun experiment to do with kids or whatever. So um, it is wow. fun. It is fun to do all those different kinds of things with milk and, and see where it comes from. And then we have cheddar cheese that actually has a culture. My um, daughter-in-law's family owns a cheese factory in Wisconsin. I say a cheese factory. It is just their family that works there. So it's definitely a family kind of an affair. And they were talking about their grandparents and their great grandparents and where they would get the cheese culture. Today, it comes in a package and they use this culture in the milk and that's what makes the cheddar cheese. But generations ago, they would keep a jar of starter on the counter. That was the culture to make the um, cheddar cheese. And it was very fascinating to me because that's how we make yogurt. That's how we ferment all kinds of different vegetables. And every culture you think of, whether it's in Asia or um, Europe, any country, Africa, they all ferment food. Mm -hmm. And the way that they originally did it, you have a culture sitting on the counter. And that's the culture to make all these different things. That's really cool. I might have to try and make cheese sometime. I didn't know it was that easy. It is. It is. Wow. It okay. is. And then the product that you have left over from cheese is whey. Yeah. And whey is the number one protein that is being sold for bodybuilders and for people who want to add protein to their foods. That's another reason milk must be this amazing food if yeah. you can make cheese out of part of it and then the, the rest which used to be thrown away is now known as one of the absolute best forms of proteins for athletes, for bodybuilders, for anybody who wants to increase their protein content. Yeah. Yeah. So as you were talking about, uh, the bacteria and stuff, it popped into my head, um, about hormones and antibiotics. So I would say that's another reason why I see people avoiding dairy because they have concerns about antibiotics and hormones in their milk. Uh, I've done a lot of research on this. Um, from my understanding and from what I've read, that really shouldn't be a concern. Um, there, you know, all animals are treated with antibiotics if they are sick and they cannot have it in their system when they are, um, when they are butchered or when their milk would be produced and utilized by humans. So there can't be any antibiotic residuals in their milk before it's uh, packaged for our consumption. Um, and then as far as the hormones go, the hormones, um, there's a lot of foods that contain hormones. And what happens is when we eat them, they're actually just digested by our body and they're passed out. They're not absorbed because they're not human hormones. We can't use them. Uh, that's my understanding of it. But Jackie, what are your thoughts on that? Do you find people concerned about antibiotics and hormones in their dairy and that being one of the reasons for them to avoid it? 
First of all, I want to say that there's no one more concerned about the antibiotics and the hormones than the dairy farmers. I mean, they drink that milk too. So they want to make sure that milk supply is safe. And I, I could say, I truly believe that our milk supply in the United States is the best in the world. Um, so when we look at it, the current use of antibiotics and pesticides being, uh, some studies show that they're undetectable in organic milks, but then in a conventional product that they see it in the samples. Well, just because one sample has it and one sample doesn't have it, doesn't mean that it is going into your body as a hormone or as a um, something that you know affects affects the body. So the truth is, um, it's against the law to sell milk with any antibiotics. So I don't believe that it ever happens. It does not happen. But if there are some traces in in some of it, it's not at a detectable level that our laws allow. So I know people feel concerned about um, undetectable levels, mm -hmm. but that's basically what we're talking about. Right. We're talking about the difference between organic milk and conventionally produced milk is undetectable levels of pesticides or antibiotics or hormones. So the only thing I can say about that is I personally never, ever worry about that. But if I have a patient that does, I say, that's why you can't restrict foods. That's why you need a wide variety of foods. That's why just eating this small, very, like this is the only food I eat kind of thing. Mm -hmm. You are increasing your risk of undetectable hormones, pesticides, or um, antibiotics. So, mm -hmm. You know, the same people that are concerned about these undetectable levels, well, they're the same ones that are seem to be restricting and eating lots and lots of the same food. There are many reasons for not eating the same foods all the time. One mm -hmm. of them, a variety of foods gives us a variety of nutrients that we need. Secondly, you don't, you're just minimizing your risk to any of these um, right. problems. Right, right. Um, I know a common reason for people to avoid dairy too is because of lactose intolerance. I know we've talked a little bit um, about the differences between intolerances and allergies before, uh, but I know one thing that I try to counsel people, if they do have lactose intolerance, you, you actually still can eat dairy. Most people can eat some dairy. Most of them can tolerate things like cheese and yogurt because the bacteria in there actually breaks down the lactose. Um, so you can have it. Um, also, you can buy lactose-free milk um, that has the lactose broken down. So you should still be able to tolerate it, but you're still getting actual dairy. You don't have to get rid of dairy and go to almond milk just because you're lactose intolerant. You would still get the benefits of dairy by going to a lactose-free milk without having those side effects. So I would always encourage people to try, try that route before just getting rid of all dairy and going to something else uh, for these reasons, because, because we've talked about how these other milk products 
and I'm going to say milk in quotations, right? There's a big debate out there whether they should be able to use the term milk even to describe to describe their, their drinks because they're not milk. Milk comes from animals. Um, but all these plant-based milk alternatives are not nutritionally equivalent to, to dairy. Yes, this is a really touchy subject for some people because um, they have believed all their lives that they didn't need milk, so they never drank milk. But when they do drink milk, then they start to feel uncomfortable, maybe in the gut, maybe later in the GI system at some point. Um, this kind of comes back to the idea that if you have never drank milk, then it's probably harder for your body to take a large load of milk. One way to get around this would be to yogurt. Yogurt is often easy, more easily digested because it's been fermented, it's been broken down, it has probiotics. So sometimes people who can't handle drinking milk, they could have yogurt or they could have cheese. And I like the term of not able to handle milk because it's not really an allergy and it might not even be a sensitivity. It just means they haven't had it for so long and having a large load of it is kind of like having a large carbohydrate load in your system and having an uncomfortable feeling of like with that. Right. So if we were going to leave the listeners with advice around uh, dairy milk or these milk substitutes, what would we say? Number one, drink milk if you can. Right. True dairy and, milk. And, yeah. And stick to dairy milk and, and water. Those are the best um, beverages for us at any age. Yep. And yep. the other thing is just to remember that the number one goal of farmers is to produce healthy, safe dairy products. And all of those dairy products are tested and they have to dispose of any milk that comes from a cow that's been given antibiotics for a certain amount of time. This is religiously followed because the dairy farmers know that their entire farm will be shut down if there are any antibiotics get through. So the antibiotic syringes are actually counted by inspectors that come out and look and they, they count, they have to have a syringe accounted for every, um, you know, a, a vet, to have um, administered it. I mean, they're very, very careful to make sure none of this gets into our milk. And um, whenever you see a research study showing that there might've been some in milk, that is because it's at an undetectable level unless they have some other method of looking at, at this. So basically for all practical purposes, um, no detectable levels of hormones or pesticides or um, antibiotics can can be in the milk. And with these other substitutes for if if for some reason you can't do dairy, if you have an allergy and you need to do something else, um, you know, yes, these other milk substitutes are highly processed, like Jackie mentioned. Um, most of them are not equivalent to dairy as far as nutrients. So if you do need to drink those, I would do some research and determine, you know, which one is going to be best for you as far as your nutrition needs. Um, if you're going to say, if you're going to drink almond milk, then you're going to need to get uh, protein and some other things 
elsewhere, or if you're going to drink rice milk, you're going to make sure to get, um, you know, protein and fat elsewhere. Uh, you can try the soy if it, if you can tolerate it. I mean, those are things that you need to look at, but, um, milk is a, it is a substrate of nutrients. It provides nutrients for our bodies. If you're not going to drink that, or if your kids are not going to drink that, they need to get those nutrients from somewhere. So just be really diligent on where you are getting those nutrients and making up for those so you can prevent any long-term issues or deficiencies. Anything else, Jackie? Well, just that milk consumption today is decreasing. Um, but I think we can say unequivocally that milk consumption is associated with better diet quality and improved health. And um, why it's decreasing seems to be a lot of the companies that are selling these alternative uh, products, they have a lot of money in marketing and they have a lot of, um, I, you know, if they can get people to buy it, they're going to make more money. Mm -hmm. So that seems to be um, why we have the diet, the dairy products decreasing. And right. um, the trends suggest that, you know, there are a lot of concerns out there. If you have specific questions or concerns about this that we haven't covered or we weren't clear, or you have more questions, um, reach out to us. We would love to hear from you and we'd love to hear other ideas that you'd like to um dig deep into of how we can push against the culture of things that aren't evidence-based. Right. Okay. Well, thank you so much for listening to our discussion on dairy and dairy substitutes. Uh, have a great week and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Eat With Grace podcast. If you haven't already, please consider subscribing so you don't miss an episode. We would love to have you leave a review or comment on our Instagram page. It's been great to share this time with you. And we pray that you have a grace-filled day. 